Yeah, top. How is everyone? Did you enjoy the presence of the Lord? That was awesome. If you don't enjoy that, you might not want to be going to heaven. <laughs> but it's like it's very interesting what disturbs people. Some people here on the earth are like, yeah, it's really long. You know, the worship's kind of long here. It's like, oh, you might not want to go to your ultimate destination then. You know, and then there's no one you can talk to about it either. It's just like. Like, there's no one that cares about your complaint. You're like, the music's too loud. They're like, we don't care. <laughs> like, the only, like, you got two choices, you know. So, um, it's good to be with you guys tonight. Just want to let you know, have a resource. Didn't talk about that last night. Um, just let you know, we do have a resource table back there. And uh, I think tonight we're going to get back into what we were talking about last night, the Renewed Mind. So I have a whole series back there, and uh, really it's just so fundamental to walking with God, walking as God, and manifesting that which God has preordained for you is how you think and to align properly with how God thinks about you is what actually changes the world. And... Um, so this whole series back there, and then um, I'm really excited. <laughs> Keeps getting pushed back a little, but it's in God's timing. Uh, in the spring, a new book will come out called uh, "Trust God's Unseen Power to Change the World." So we're really excited about that coming out because it's going to have a curriculum, and first time I'll have an audio book with it for people who don't like to read. I've always said leaders are readers. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, this is the first book I, I wrote uh, called "Creation Reborn." It's about, I believe, just a partial prophetic look about what God desires to do in the earth. He said he would do above and beyond what you could ask or think. And I've learned, though, to receive the above and beyond. You just have to agree with just some of what he'll tell you about your future. And your, your future, how God sees it from his perspective, is way beyond anything that you could ever accomplish in your own strength. And so... You're like, how could I ever do that? And that's like the whole point of walking with God. You can't do it. But as you learn to walk with him, he brings the impossible to the past. But it's important that you, like Joseph, you have to like grab the seed of what he speaks about your future. I have a, a, a mentor in my life, and he's, he just received something in the year of uh, apparently a, a, a pandemic or plandemic, however you want to call it, however, however you'd like to describe it, but in, in a year where you wouldn't think he received something like that, but 20 years later, it's completely impossible, but God will bring it to pass as you trust him. But you got to trust that seed that he gives you called the word of God that comes to you either by the voice of God or obviously through the written word. And as you receive that and you agree with that, it causes like your whole uh, circumstances to be viewed in light of that. So if uh, your life right now is way beyond what you could think, but it's your simple trust in what God has spoken today that will bring above and beyond what you could ask or think come to pass. But you have to agree with it now. That's why uh, I, I sometimes I I I um, 
what I'm, this assignment I have, it's like, uh, I think sometimes, sometimes God asks me to say things that, you know, we're, we're not living in that place yet as a people. And I felt like the, the Lord told me years ago, because I, not really struggling a bit, but asking the Lord, inquiring of it. You know, one, one, of, the, one of your um, greatest joys in God is to ask God questions, you know? And uh, often, you know, uh, or sometimes they'll just tell me, like, I, I, don't, like it, I don't want you to know about that right now. <laughs> it's just like, okay, good. And then he'll tell me about something I wasn't really interested in, but then it becomes really fascinating as soon as he tells you. Like, like but uh, I was like, we, we just don't seem as a people to be living in the things he tells me. He goes, unless you give people a vision of where they need to go, they'll never get there. And so, and, he, and, and then another conversation I had with him, he said, just because nations haven't been discipled yet doesn't mean it's not my will. And um, anyway, so that's a book on that. And then a really good friend of mine wrote a really great practical book on um, just practically walking out the gifts of the Spirit in your everyday life, go preach, heal. Uh, Bill Johnson uh, wrote a, a great endorsement. He said, a simple but profound look at what the Christian life should look like. The book is filled with revelation. So uh, we got lots of wonderful resources back there and just encourage you to go back there and uh, grab what's back there. All right, why don't we just pray? We just open up the Word of God tonight. If you would just lift your hands. And if you don't want to lift your hands, lift your hands anyway. Lord, we just lift our hands as a sign of surrender to you tonight. And we are surrendered to you tonight. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you're here. Thank you uh, for what you want to do and are doing in the city of Augusta, Georgia. Let the prophetic uh, destiny of this state and this region begin to come to pass. Let the dead bones live in this region, God. Let things that were dead come alive. Let lost dreams come alive. Let lost um, understanding of your ways come alive and put your people on display so that all men might know and that you might be described in this region as the desire of the nations and that the group of people here would be accused of filling Augusta and beyond and the nations of the earth with the doctrine of Jesus. Yes. So Lord, teach us your ways tonight. Open up your word. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of God. We just recognize, Lord, our dependence on you and uh, let all the gifts of the Spirit be in operation. Uh, somebody's lower back being healed. And Jesus has his hand on somebody's head right now who has, you suffer um, uh, headaches. And then I believe one of the ways sometimes it's manifested is that um, you have difficulty sleeping at night. So be healed in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, just be healed. Right shoulder be healed. Arthritis be healed. Lord, I thank you tonight that no one person leaves with any sickness or disease in this body. Open up your beautiful word tonight, God. 
Open up your beautiful word. Let impartation, transformation, and great breakthrough take place. Great breakthrough. Great breakthrough. The Lord says, I'm going to bring together the people of God in this city as never before. I'm going to bring uh, young and old together as never before to release one voice and one sound so that the dead, mo dead bones may live. And the Lord would say that many of uh, the bones are dead because of a false sense of who God is. And so he keeps it dead because he cannot bring alive that which he's not birthed. But the Lord says, I'm going to bring alive that which is authentic and that which is birthed in the heart of God. And the trajectory of the purposes of God will be divinely connected to the people of God becoming houses of worship and prayer in the earth. And the first place that, that, that altar will be will be the home. I want to come to the hum, homes first. Then I want to come to local bodies. The Lord would say that in this season, it's the season of the local body as never before. Apostolic and prophetic bodies moving, advancing, and advancing in the purposes of God. But yet there is a sound that's yet to be released in this city. And I'm going to connect that which I've preordained for this season. I'm going to connect it with the prayers and the declarations of saints of previous seasons, and it'll be the old and the new coming together for a sound and a resynchronization of what's happening in this region. So worship and prayer must go before the purposes of God. For some have had vision, but not the foundation of worship, prayer, intercession, seeing correctly. And even some have gone in that direction, but their eyes have been clouded with wrong insights, wrong mindsets. So there's a holy even purification happening across the body, an aligning of motives, an aligning of purposes. But ultimately, the Lord would say, it's an aligning with me. So the Lord says to his people, stay focused as never before. Keep your eyes on me, for I am the author and the finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes focused. Don't look to the left or to the right. Don't look to a philosophy or an idea to be your salvation in this season. For salvation can only belong to our God and his ways. And so I've removed even obstacles and even things. And I'll, and I'll point to things in the lives of my people that would cause them to put their trust in the wrong thing. So that they might stand on a firm foundation in the purposes of God. For the last year and a half across America, I've released the purifying fire of alignment and purpose for my people, aligning, aligning purpose and purity for my people. But yet there even is and has been a release of a mighty earth, earthquake. And in my house, there's an earthquake to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, godly and ungodly. And yet the Lord would say, even as a sign to you, there's going to be even a shift and even a great exposing of evil 
done. Not because I am a vindictive God, but because I desire purity and grace to stand in places of authority and leadership. But there's a great cleansing and there's a great purging of the house of God and ideas of man. So my people could be firmly rooted and grounded in the appropriate place. I see it again. I've seen this many, many times. I just see um, a gavel. Judges have gavels. Jesus is a righteous judge. And he's releasing a gavel over his people. And there's a divine inspection in this season for his people. Divine inspection. So that you might find yourself focused correctly. Affections correctly. Eyes in the appropriate place. So that the beauty of my son would be revealed to you and come out of you as a pure river as never before. A river that changes landscapes, that steps into the future now, and shifts the prophetic purpose that I've preordained for this nation. And indeed, the Lord would say, make no mistake about it, there is a prophetic purpose and mandate on this nation in the things of God and in the purposes of God for this season. That's why there has been so much turmoil on the outside. And the Lord says, I'm holding the people of God responsible. I'm holding the people of God responsible for manifesting the prophetic will and purpose over this nation. I'm holding you responsible, says the Lord, to be peacemakers. I'm holding you responsible to speak correctly. I'm holding you responsible to love and to care. I'm holding you responsible for that which you would do in this period of time. And yet the Lord would say there, there is an urgency. There is an urgency in my heart because I desire to release acceleration over every one of my people in this season. For what would take a year, two months. For what would take two months, two weeks. For what would take a day, an hour. I want to accelerate all things and grow you into maturity. So embrace the ways of the Lord and the processes of the Lord. Embrace the chastening, even the shifting and the cleansing. For I purify that which I love and care for. Mahaya. And I will roar as the lion of the tribe of Judah in this season. A great roar will come. And a great sound will come. And a great outpouring will come. The Lord says to his people and promises to his people, make no mistake about it. I hear and I answer the prayers of my people. I hear and answer the prayers of my people. I hear and answer the prayers of my people. And some would say, my body is lost in America, but I say, there's drops, little drops if you can see it. Little drops of great, great rain in the wilderness. Great, great rain in the wilderness. Great, great rain in the wilderness. 
Mara Bahaya. Mohoshokoboyo. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to go back to uh, something I shared last night and then uh, keep tracking here with this idea of the renewed mind. How many were here last night? Okay, great. If you weren't here last night, you can jump in tonight, but it's kind of part two. This is part of the word the Lord gave me for 2021 and beyond. And I want to read this part again. I won't read everything I read last night, but just this part. I want to give my people eyes to see what I've made available to them in this season and what I made available to this generation and my children on the earth that no other generation has been given. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are my people's portion in this season. I will, I will teach my people how to walk by faith and not by sight as never before. I will teach them not to be moved by what they see with their natural eyes, but only be moved by what I'm speaking and I, and I declared to be true. This is a season on the earth when my people must devour my word as their highest delight and guard themselves against all other influences so that their highest delight is in me. I want to mark my people. Indeed, I want to brand my people with a marking that their greatest delight would be to know and experience my beauty. Indeed, the greatest revelation that I'm releasing on the earth is a revelation of my beauty in my name. When my people see my beauty, they will represent me as I've ordained to represent them. I felt from the Lord tonight to just talk a little bit about the process of the renewed mind. And essential to our discipleship process is the renewed mind. I always remember uh, in Alabama getting ready to minister uh, in 2013, the fall, and the Lord spoke to me, it's kind of, as he does sometimes, really sharp, and he said to me, I cannot violate the perverted thought processes of man to fulfill my will in their life. And so I understood it, and I still, I, you know, it's like the Lord makes these statements to you, and it takes... Uh, I'm still unpacking the implications of what he meant by that. And it's just a, a truth that God cannot come to you and move beyond your thinking to do his will, even though it's his will to do that which he desires in your life, you have to come into agreement. He wishes that, at a, a very base level, let's say it like this, he wishes that all men to be saved, Right? 
not every man is saved. So he cannot violate somebody's will and make them receive the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross so they could become born again. You know, and, and, and often there is a spirituality, uh, I should say there, there's something that masquerades itself as spirituality often among the people of God where we actually place back onto God the responsibility that is given to us. And it takes actually very little faith or no faith to live in that place. Well, you know, you know, if God just wants to do this for me, he just kind of knows where I am. And the reality is most of the things that God really desires to give us, there must be an extension of faith. You've talked, we read, we read uh, the man at the pool. You saw that the focus of Jesus in his dialogue with him was to bring him to a place of faith in God. He was trying to not only give him a miracle, but he was trying to give him a change in mindset that he no longer had to live as a victim. In, in Mark the 10th chapter, really, you know, the, you know, if you're Pentecostal, you love that story. Lauren Bartimaeus, you know, <laughs> you heard that one like every week in Sunday school. At least I did. <laughs> you know, and he's going, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's, what's really interesting is because for him to say that in that cultural environment would mean that he is identifying that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, and so, and what's really interesting is Jesus keeps walking. It's, he, he has this, the, it's Bartimaeus that has taken the initiative there. And, you know, he, he might be one of the first Pentecostals there. He's shouting, you know. And, but then when he gets to Jesus, what, what does he say? He, he, Jesus, you know, it's kind of, it's almost like uncomfortable from our cultural perspective. But he goes, what do you want? He, you got to think Peter was like, Jesus, the guy's blind. Help, you know, don't be, don't, you know, if, he, if, Je, if Jesus was, you know, I'm convinced in some places, if Jesus was an American pastor, they, they would say he's mean, you know. They would definitely have like a video on him. This, this is why this man is not authentic, you know. And he's, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to not just teach, he's not, he's trying to bring a miracle to him, but in that miracle, he's trying to teach him something from that miracle about the nature of God. What do you want? And he's trying to tell him, you, you not only can receive what I want to give you, but you no longer have, because that, that incapacity in his physical eyes had come into, a, had caused him to live in a mindset where he is literally known in some places as a beggar. And we know he throws off his coat, which is, was a sign of who he was. So what's he doing? He's trying to give him a miracle, but he's also trying to give him a change in mindset. Like the, the, the will of God is not simply just to, you know, uh, kind of just throw you a miracle every now and then. It's actually so you can live in this place of, of fruitfulness on a consistent basis. And part of the reason why it's so, so important for you to live in that place as a lifestyle is there, there's actually a place where it actually says that Jesus grew and he grew. He's perfect, but he grew. But he wants you to grow into a place of maturity where uh, there is no longer any concern in your mindset about your own sustainability, but you become a releaser of that, a releaser to the world around you of that which you have come to know personally. So, um, you know, that's why even, uh, you know, it, get, it gets people mad, but it's just true. That's why even living prosperous life financially is not an option if you want to be a real disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he actually wants to make you 
a, 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 a storehouse for other people in the purposes of God. So when you learn to live in that place, it's that you don't think about like, oh, what's this going to cost me? Or, you know, it's just a level of living where you realize you have been, com- you, you have been, you, you, you live in the blessing of the Lord. And out of that blessing, he causes you to be a resource house for other people. Yeah. And as you do that, you're never worried with my bills. That just doesn't become an issue anymore. It's just the issue is now I've come to represent him in that way. That's why, that's why, you know, quite frankly, I'm convinced the enemy fights that thing so much in the body of Christ, you know. I, I just think when you teach on, especially financial stewardship, you got to have deliverance in the same thing, you know, because people, you know, they get mad. They really do, you know. You feel it in the room sometimes. It's like, we love Jesus, but we're, you know, like, it's like, anyway. Hey, Stephen, in this next season, the Lord's going to speak to you in like a really still, small voice in this season. You'll know. You, I feel like he speaks to you that, that in the Word. It's like the Word and the still, small voice. But the still, small voice is going to come to you as never before, just early in the morning. Actually, see like the hands of the Lord just on your ears, just like unlocking greater discernment for you. And there's coming a shift an assignment for you, and there's going to come a rest in what the Lord's going to call you to do. Yeah. So, this is like an essential part, and we didn't read this last night, but let's, let's, let's read it, Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he, as he thinks in his heart. So, how you think in your own heart defines your existence. We said last night how you perceive yourself and how you perceive God defines how you operate in the world. And so the renewed mind, it's not, it, you have been given, and it's not just you individually, but we have the mind of Christ. The, the, the reason, part of the reason why uh, we must understand the, the essential nature of community is this, is that I can represent Jesus as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. But unless I'm in alignment with other people moving in that direction and doing it together, the world misses out on the full expression of what Jesus looks like. I can represent him, but if you're not representing him in the manner God's called you, then there's a missing expression because Jesus delight, like there's kind of like this weird thing. And I know what people are trying to say because they're wanting to change. But it's like, 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 all of you and none of me. No, he wants all of him and all of you, but not, not like the bad stuff. You know that. Like, don't be stupid. Like, he doesn't, not that. But he doesn't want to, like, change you. He doesn't want to change the things that you like. He doesn't want to change, like, I like professional wrestling. You don't have to like professional wrestling. But unless he tells me about it, unless professional wrestling becomes a god, or I'm drawn to certain things, I, I, I like to think about certain things. I live in my, like, I, in my own little world in a lot of ways. I call it my little bubble. So I think like this. I have a certain personality. He doesn't want to take out your personality. In fact, one of the marks of a religious spirit is it wants everyone to be the same. You know, and, and it, it doesn't mean like I, I'm a Suarez, so I have certain characteristics of what Suarez is. But one of the great essential features that my parents always taught me is like, hey, just embrace who God has called you to be. 
So, but it's only in every person functioning in a mature place that it fully represents the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the enemy works so uh, on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a level to disjoint, disjoin people, disjoin communities of people, and disjoin even married people from each other because it's a strength. He said, where two or more agree, it shall be done. So we've been given this inheritance, and then we walk on this journey of, of learning to embrace the thought processes of God. And the mind is not simply renewed just because you step into the kingdom. It's your choice. And there's this word, there's this word that um, I constantly use, and it's intentionality. Intentionality is basically done with purpose and design. I think, uh, the, obviously, the Olympics were, were canceled last year. Apparently, they're going to have it this year. And I, I'm always intrigued. I, 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 was, I wrestled from time of seven till 23, until I graduated uh, college. And I'm always fascinated at the dedication that these people will put into this particular goal. There's an intentional focus on this goal to become the very best in that place and also this most of them have this overwhelming conviction that they are the best in the world or else they wouldn't even sign up so there's an intentionality to it and uh we we start here romans the 12th chapter verse 1 and 2 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your reasonable service so the foundation of of, of this transformation is, is uh, living constantly in this posture is, I'm here and I'm yours and uh, I'm yours to command from this day forward. Amen. And notice he says that's your reasonable service. A lot of times we're like, that guy's really radical, you know, he's like all in for God, do anything. No, that's actually the reasonable service in God. Amen. That's reasonable, you know. What most Americans call like uh, uh, radical, God calls reasonable, you know. <laughs> And, and, and notice he is writing, he is writing to believers, and in verse 2 he says, and don't be conformed. So he says, he gives us this command to not be conformed, so he tells us that a believer can actually be conformed to this world even though they are in Christ, but be transformed. By what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So he, he gives us that connection again that we... Uh, hopefully understood a little bit about last night, there's a connection between uh, the renewed mind and then expressing the will of God. It's the renewed mind that expresses the will of God. Uh, go to uh, Matthew the 8th, because I want a chapter, I just felt like I'd want to look at that in a moment, uh, look, look at that for just a moment. Uh, when you're in school, especially I think, I think it's start, well, maybe high school, I had some of these. They, you'd start the, the first day of a class, they'll give you these uh, course outlines, course syllabus, and at the beginning of the class, they tell you, this is what you're supposed to learn by the end of this time this class is over with. And I, I look at uh, several things in Scripture, but this is particularly one, this story in Matthew, the eighth chapter. I call this a, a, a discipleship objective for every believer in the area of the renewed mind, Matthew 8. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped and saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus, we know, is fully God, fully man. He's operating as the Son of Man. And if you want to understand a little bit how Jesus thought, 
uh, thought, Jesus is the first man since Adam to express God's original intent for the world. If you see Jesus, you see what God intended for Adam with the exception that in Adam, like, this is kind of always crazy to talk about. In Adam, he walks with God. In Jesus, he lives in man for the first time. I don't know how, how he did it, but he actually upgraded on perfection because Adam didn't need version 2.0. You know, Adam wasn't like the test version, you know. You know, Adam was, there was no deficiency in Adam, but somehow he upgrades in Jesus. And in Jesus, you'll see the very same characteristics that Adam had. Adam had a free will. Jesus had a free will. He said, no one takes my life from me. I freely give it up. Jesus had human needs. Adam had human needs. Jesus had to know the love of his father. Adam had to know his acceptance from God. And it's really interesting. So it's, if you look at something in the mind of Jesus, we have several examples, and it's this. He says, I can do only what I do, what I see my father doing in heaven. I can only do what I see my father doing in heaven. Wait, he's got a choice. He could do, you know, it, he even tells us at the end there where he's like, yeah, this is, this is going to be bad. This is going to be tough, you know, this cross thing. You know, the whole time he knows. And... You know, he even, even you know, uh, the, the devil even tells him, you, you, you know, uh, he tells the devil, he goes, I could call legions of angels and just end this thing. At any time, he can tap out. So he's got this choice, but then he makes a say, I only, I only do what I see my father doing in heaven. Adam had to learn things from God. It says of Jesus in John the 8th chapter, this is always a fascinating statement to me. Jesus learned and then taught what he learned from his father. The will of God was not automatic for Jesus. He says, so what's he, I believe he's teaching us the mind of Jesus. He's got a free will, but in the way he thinks, he does not entertain anything except that which the father has ordained him to do. Anything that came across that mind, no way. That's, that's illegal for me. And then Paul instructs us, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we have this expression here. Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, so he's, he is speaking not as a son of God here, I believe, but as a son of man. I am willing. Notice he doesn't say God is willing. He says, I am willing. It's a fascinating thought, statement he makes. So and he, he, he obviously understands this authority he has as the son of man where he is in such understanding of what the will of God is. God, he goes, oh, I know God would never, never do that to someone, you know, never leave him there. So I'm willing. And because I'm willing, my father's going to back me up and heal you. So that's kind of the goal <laughs> in every area. You're like, yeah, I, I, that's, that's a tough one. I know. Welcome to walking with him. The whole point is you can't do it without him. Amen. Blessed, highly favored are the poor in spirit. What's poor in spirit? It's not talking about what's in your bank account. It's this positioning of the heart like, oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I literally can't do anything without you. He goes, I know. So let me help you. So 
So one of the signs that you've presented yourself as a living sacrifice, it's really simply, is that you, you actually have an intentional life of fellowship with God. That's like the, the starting point right there. It's not the only thing, but love God and then love other people. How you love other people is a direct reflection of your understanding of how God loves you. And you'll see because there, there, are, there are certain things that cannot happen outside the context of fellowship with God. There are, there are, there are occurrences and there are things that God has planned that cannot take place out of, outside of your personal fellowship with God. And here's just a really simple thought. No one can have a relationship with God for you. And, it, and it's really interesting because even elementary things of the things of God cannot be understood outside of the life of fellowship with God. It's really interesting. Jesus lived this life of intentional... He's the model, right? He, he prayed at night. He prayed in the morning. There was these solitary times. I want to suggest to you, if he had these solitary times, how much more do we? You know? <laughs> he prayed... You're like, you're like, I'm really busy. I know. You're missing out. But the point of that is, is he prayed, and then, what's really interesting, we, we can all probably agree here, if you've been around God or things of God or read scripture enough, we can say that fellowship with God, prayer to God. God doesn't want a, a devotional life, like I have my devotion say. No, he wants a life of fellowship. He wants his cadence. That's why Paul said pray without ceasing. He doesn't want to just like leave you after you read you know, that, that one scripture from the devotional. Like, now go live your life as an American. He wants to actually like invade like every part of it. I'm not saying that you, you can pray all day. There are some people called to do that. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's a definite calling. But, and I would never put on what God's asked me to do upon other people, but there's this flow, there's this synchronization of talking to God that he wants that is way beyond what most people consider you know, their devotional life. But, but the, the point of that is this, is... In walking and modeling of how he discipled his disciples, there's a really interesting thing that, that takes place is he never actually teaches them how to pray until they ask him. That's right. It's fascinating to me. Like he doesn't you would think it would be like one of the first lessons after they leave everything to follow. All right, guys, you've left everything to follow me. But as they're watching him, he never submits this lesson. So so it teaches us this. It's only your hunger to learn things, certain things about God that will open up to you the understanding in God. There's a lot of people that are, I wonder why God doesn't talk to them about certain things because they're not interested. So Exodus 3 is a great example here of what happens in the context of walking with God. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father Jethro, father-in-law, priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and he came toward Horeb, the mountain of God. This is Exodus 3. Excuse me. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the trash was, excuse me, but the bush was not consumed, not the trash. I'm reading off my iPad. Then Jesus said, I will, Jesus. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Notice the intentionality there. I always wonder, if he doesn't decide to turn, does God speak to him? Wow. 
So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Catch that phrase. God actually looked how he responded to a moment. Really beautiful thing. Like, you, like don't ever believe God is not watching you. Like, you think like, ah, oh, you know, God's not here and I don't feel him. And he's like, no, I'm right here. <laughs> he's always there. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look upon God. So notice that this is like uh, very common with encounter. God reveals himself. Here's who I am. And the Lord said, then another common part about encounter is that he speaks. I've surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from the land to good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will, del- I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I just want, to, want you to catch something there that, that, that is, is very typical in how when God talks to us, notice that they are the most oppressed people in the world. They have no education system. They are um, victims and slaves of uh, another nation, yet God has covenant with these people. But God is not thinking about them as slaves. He is thinking about them as abundantly beyond blessed people, even though that they are in a place of captivity and slavery. And also, if you would ask them, they would probably tell you, you know, God's not speaking. He's nowhere. We we need to just help ourselves. He has heard what they said. He's heard what you said. And then he goes to a person. I love it. He announces himself as the God who hears, the God who delivers. And then he tells Moses, by the way, this aspect of who I am, you're going to represent that to my people. So the aspect of God that was revealed to him, he now has the privilege of representing. But there's a little problem, and I found this in my experience with the Lord, often talking with the Lord, and this is how the renewed mind works. And it's this, that often God will speak to us in places or in in time periods where what he is telling us is far beyond our understanding of ourselves inside of him and, and does not line up with any of our circumstances. And so in that place, he is looking to bring an exchange of identity in what he has told us because what came to the surface when God spoke to Moses? All his own insecurities. All the I'm a failure. Oh, I murdered someone. So that comes to the surface, trauma, ungodly beliefs. That's why we talked about that last night. Now he's got an opportunity to exchange that for the guy who's going to be God's spokesperson. So I say, look to see 
your reactions to extraordinary things that God speaks to you because it and often it is a place that God in the middle of, of teaching you who you really is, he wants to heal the inside of you. Amen. Remember a number of years ago, the Lord spoke to me. We're having this conversation about economics. He said, most of the body of Christ, or many of my children could never receive the amount of money I wanted to give them because they don't think they're worthy. So how, one way, the mind gets renewed is as we walk in fellowship with God, he gives us an opportunity to exchange what comes to the surface in our own thoughts, in our own minds, to come into alignment with what he has spoken. So in a place of fellowship and friendship with the Lord, we hear his voice. Hearing the voice of God is... is, is God has intended hearing the voice of God to be a byproduct of being in fellowship with God. Sometimes we're focused on the voice and not the fellowship. If you have the fellowship, you'll know His voice. If a heart is positioned correctly, you will know when He's speaking. We've made this one way too complicated. Jesus taught us in John the seventh chapter. He goes, he you know there he's in this argument, uh, not really argument, but this you know this discourse or this back and forth with uh, the religious leaders, I believe the Pharisees there. And he says, those who will to do my will, those who will to do my will, will know that my doctrine is from God. What's he saying? He goes, if there's a sincere, willing heart, I'm yours to command. You will know, you will bear witness, there will be a knowing that God wants to, that God is speaking to you. And he will work with you. Right in the place you're at. Like, he's not, like, people are like, you know, I just, I don't hear, I don't hear God like, you know, Chris, Priscilla, you know, they just, they're so good, you know, they got it. Like, like he, it's not his concern. His concern is, are you willing to do his will? You know, the Lord told me today that um, he's unlocking your ears to hear as never before. And you see yourself as a servant. It's good to be a servant. It's good to be a servant. But that's all you see yourself as. And he wants to awaken the dreamer on the inside of you as never before because there are things he wants to do for you that will come out of your fellowship. And there's encounters and there's breakthroughs. There's a really strong prophetic gift on you. And there's an angel Lord just unlocking you in Jesus' name into a new place of freedom, ability to hear, an ability to see yourself exactly like God. I remember when I first started hearing the voice of God, and we're all on this journey, right? Nobody's got it right. We're all together, you know? I haven't said this out loud in front of people. But I'll say it now. I feel, I feel okay to say it. I think one of the reasons Donald Trump became president was to show a lot of believers how religious they were. I think a lot of, part of the reason he might not be elected now is also to let a lot of people know how religious they are. There's two sides to that one. 
That's a whole different story, but I don't know. I just felt the freedom to let that off my chest. <laughs> that felt nice. <laughs> no way. You know. But, but uh, I remember just having the sincere heart. Lord, I, I just want to do. And he, he knows where you're at. Like, people are like, I'll, you know, I'll walk on water. And he's like, no, nah, let's just start with being nice to people. <laughs> so God is incredibly practical. And, um, but it was so loud. So loud. When I knew it was like, like it was so clear and you know you just real easy just test that thing against the word of God the devil's not going to tell you to forgive someone <laughs> he's not going to tell you to write somebody a big check you know <laughs> like it's not that difficult I wonder if it's the Lord and you can you know you can do like I remember I, you know you do that thing all good charismatics I need confirmation you know <laughs> And we laugh. That's okay. Like, he'll work with you. He will confirm things he's speaking to you. You know, but then don't dismiss it, you know? I, I was, um, I felt like the Lord asked me to do something at the end of the year, towards the end of the year. And there's this thing, too, where a lot of times it's not like I'm saying no. I go, okay, I, th- I feel like there's a timing to this. I'm not sure if it's now. And I just put on this message and um, immediately... I actually wasn't, I was going to listen, I was intending to listen to something, I felt, thought I was supposed to listen to something else, and then I put, I was like, and the Lord's like, listen to that one right there. And the first thing this guy says connects exactly where, where I'm at. Don't argue with that. Don't argue with that. He'll help you, he really will, you know. You know, they come up here on a Saturday night like, hey, we're going to go on a mission trip, you know, or we're going to this unseen conference, you know, you're like, I, I, you know, first thing you think is you can't afford it. God's like, I want you to go to that. Sign up tonight, you know, and then somebody, t- I just really feel like you need to go to it. That's confirmation. <laughs> You know, you're like, but I need money. I go, well, he'll bring the money if you got a word. The money brings the word. The word comes as a result. You know, the money comes as a result of saying yes to the word. So in the context of walking with him, you'll hear his voice. And as you hear his voice, it's really, really important that your faith grabs hold of what he's saying to you and speaking to you. Revealed knowledge. It's how the kingdom of God operates. It doesn't operate by your intellect. God is not afraid. God is not against your intellect. But the, the, the ways of God cannot operate according to your mind. And so there's got to be this yes. And then because faith comes by hearing. We say yes to it. And then there also must be a confession of it. Look at uh, Mark, the 11th chapter. 
Mark 11. Look at verse 12. Now, the next day when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. Notice the humanity of Jesus. This is a beautiful Savior. The very God. Like, himself is actually what created the world we live in. And he humbles himself to be like one of us. And has no benefit to himself. Like, people are like, oh, you know, God was lonely, so he created us. No, 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 God was not lonely. That's American. To believe that God was lonely was to believe that he needed something outside of himself. He's self-sufficient. Then he come and he was hungry and seeing afar a fig tree, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season of the figs. In response, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. I believe there's nine words there. So Jesus speaks to that tree. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up. There's a minor story in between that we skipped through of him overturning tables and stuff. It's very minor. <laughs> but you also notice that even Jesus' own words, they do not immediately, or at least they don't tell us that there's an immediate change. But Jesus doesn't go back to the Father and go, is it working? He assumes it's working because he spoke what the Father told him to say. And Peter, remembering, said, uh, the morning they passed by, the fig tree was dried up from the roots. Now notice, it got dried up from the inside out. And Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. Now this is really neat. Jesus, Peter observes Jesus speaking to something, speaking to a tree. And Peter's amazed that the words that Jesus spoke become exactly what Jesus told those, that tree to become. And, and Peter's like, amazing. And immediately, Jesus begins this teaching on the subject of faith. Every believer and, and, and the, the gift of faith is critical to the development of your mind because world overcoming faith has been put on the inside of every believer. Yeah. Every believer, according to Romans 12, according to Ephesians, has been given the measure of faith. It is your responsibility to bring development to the measure of faith that he's put on the inside of you. Jesus had no problem. Telling people, big faith, small faith, little faith. The fig tree which you curse is withered away. And then so he said, he said, have faith in God. Little, best translation of that is have God's faith. Have God's faith. Now that even gets even funner. Because God has faith and he gives you the same faith that he uses to operate in the earth, he gives it to you as a gift to walk with him. Now notice that when God speaks, spoke the universe into existence, his words became exactly what he declared them to become. So if you have the same God kind of faith, your words can have the same results that Jesus' words have. He got too, too many few amens on that. Your words, when they're in alignment with God's words, are supposed to have the same sort of results. So he says, have God's faith, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, 
be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says, he will have whatever he says. He will have whatever he says. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive and you will have them. So, but often, here, here's what I've, I've learned in this process of developing your mind, is this, that you'll hear it, you'll go, yes, you'll declare it, but um, the goal of God is to make you fully convinced of what he has told you. Like, there's some things that the Lord, I go, man, that is, I, I received that, I begin saying it, but your mind goes, blah, 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 blah. So what you do is, you say it over and over and over and over and over again. I'll give you a story. Uh, when I was a child, uh, or, or I was in um, South Africa, uh, I, I think maybe nine, ten years ago, and I was running one morning, uh, and I'm running one morning, and as I'm running, uh, I'm thinking, Western, they drive on the wrong side of the road there, and it's not right. And uh, so I was thinking, I'm thinking I'll see any cars as I cross the street, but I forgot, it was Western, it was early in the morning, so I was like a little tired, and this big dump truck comes, and uh, I wish I could have told you I said something spiritual, but I was thinking, okay, this is how people die. And it wouldn't be because Jesus needed an angel in heaven, it would be because I wasn't thinking correctly. I wish I could have said I screamed Jesus or something, but I didn't, I screamed like a woman. Ah! You know, that's what I did. That's what I, did. I don't know what happened, how God protected me, but he kind of just gazes me, I get this little bump on my elbow, I'm thinking, am I in heaven, you know, and... I'm still there, and he like finally realized like this dump truck is like huge. It's like bigger than my house, and he finally realized there's a little man from New Jersey that's under there somewhere, and he's like, "How did this guy not die or something?" You know. So I survive, obviously, <laughs> with only a bump on me, and I get back to my hotel. And then later that day, I remember I'm sitting on, just kind of sitting in my bed, and that afternoon. And the Lord began to speak to me. He said, you know, if you would have died today, you would have been with me. I said, yes, I would have. And he said, almost like he had me, he was trying to teach me something of why I believe that. And he, he said, uh, and it, it, it flashed back to my childhood. I was around the things of God. You know? Some people's parents had hobbies. My parents went to church, yeah. church gatherings. Yeah. We were there every time the doors were open. <laughs> you know, we had our arrival, you know, Monday. It used to be all week when I started, then got a little older, we, you know, we started backsliding, so we just went Sunday through Wednesday. And my parents, they didn't like, we're going we're to go one night. You know, like, no, you're there, you're there every night. They were like, oh, you know, little Abner's going to go to bed at 8. No, they didn't leave. I just slept on the pew, right. you know. <laughs> so I was around the things of God, and one of the things I heard all the time, see, your kids are hearing stuff. Come on. They might be like picking their nose, laughing at each other. No, I'm serious. They're kids, you know. It's a, this is not as I say of the Lord, but I think it's criminal that they don't have kids in school. They really do. It's wrong. I think it's even more criminal that they're wearing masks to the little kids. I mean, adults can, I guess, if you think that's helping them, no problem, you know, that that's your conviction. But it's criminal that those kids are not in school. Yeah, okay, I mean, I'm right on that too, so. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. That's not a biblical concept there. It's just my, I think it's wrong. They should all be in school. Maybe, anyway. It's 
more of a statement there. Maybe we've all realized how much we don't need the public school. But that's a different story uh, all around. But um, I, I, thought, I thought about it. One of the things I heard all the time was to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then I heard, I'll fly away, oh God. Like, I think we wanted to go more, more, more to heaven than do anything on the earth. Like, we were ready to go to heaven. Right. Most of us were getting beat up all week, so that's why we wanted to go to heaven, you know? <laughs> so the point being, I heard it so often, it was the truth that stuck inside of me. So the point is, when you hear things, here again and again and again. I'm still listening to a, a conference I did with another gentleman because there are things he said. I think it's, we're going on 10 years ago. I'm still listening to the things he was teaching there Lord. again and again and again. So here's what happened. You're like, yes, Lord. And what happens is because it's an incorruptible seed that he gives you. That's what Peter said. The incorruptible seed of the word of God. Lord. So that goes on the inside of you. And whether you know it or not, Joseph's whole life was being framed because he said yes to that dream. All those circumstances are going different. His father thinks he's dead, but that dream is on the inside of him. I remember when he, he says to Pharaoh, he goes, he goes, what, you know, what these dreams are from God and they're going to happen. I think when he's telling him that, he's even telling himself that God can't lie. God will, he actually says the statement in the English is, God will bring it to pass. I think in his worst days, he, he would say, God will bring it to pass. But there's something when you say it over and over again, and the, the illustration, probably the best illustration I've seen is, you know, you have a little cup, and, and let's say the, the faucet is dripping, and you just keep letting that thing drip, 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 and eventually it just overflows where it becomes a natural response. I remember uh, maybe like three or four years ago, I was sitting with these leaders. I, I haven't sat with them again. because, um, But they were, they were like, no, nobody can ever do that. And I just like, I'm going to do that one day. And I said, I'm going to do it. And I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't intentionally being rude. I was just saying, I was glad that there was something on the inside of me that said, what you're saying is not true. <laughs> So faith comes by hearing, and then you begin to need to say what God has said. I have um, little glimpses of prophetic words all around my house. When I leave my house, uh, uh, the front door, I always see the scripture, Psalm 89, 34, my covenant will I keep, nor alter the thing that comes out of my lips. God, I know you cannot lie to me. You can't lie to me, no matter what circumstance I'm in, you cannot lie to me. And then in the context, I've learned of declaring and speaking. Notice he says he will have whatever he says. You have whatever you say, whether it's the word of God or not. I told that story about Kobe Bryant, wants to die young. He had what he said. And the reason you can believe you've received when you've prayed is because you said it. Catch that again. The reason you can believe that you received is because you've said it. 
I've said what God has told me to be true. And because I have said it and it is the word of God, it will come to pass. The other part about that, though, is faith always has corresponding action. Faith always has corresponding action. So there's, there's and here's what happened. I always said there, there, you, you, can, you can never understand revelation without a practice of that revelation. So here's what happens. You, 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 yes, God, this is true. The seed's inside of you. And then you, then you declare it. And then he kind of gives you, see, it's all, also in that process, he's teaching you how to hear him. And you're not used to maybe hearing him in certain places. You know, I remember where I was like, I remember I read years ago, John 14, 12, and, you know, deal the greater works. And then, you know, you're in the cafeteria and someone's like, I got a terrible headache. And you don't need a word, for, you don't need a, a, an angel or fire or, you know, you just, you, there it is, you know, here it is, go practice. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but here's what happens. It's then when you practice, it's like even greater light can come on that truth. Because, right, you, you like practice and then I learned that's when I started learning about people's trauma and stuff. Then I realized that a lot of the sickness they have is a result of trauma and unforgiveness and all this other stuff. So you can pray 8 million different prayers and they might get a little free the next day, but then that spirit of infirmity comes back on them. So you got to teach them how to think correctly. See, light came on it. Then I learned words of knowledge and, and different things. So it's only in the practice of truth. And the thing about it, you, you, never, you never arrive. You just... The, the truth of the scripture doesn't change, but your understanding and how that truth applies to your life begins to change. I like the term, you get a little more light on it. And then you think, you, you like, you think you're, you, you know, like, okay, I'm doing pretty good in this place. And then he just speaks again. Or circumstances change, seasons shift. Probably this is a year where, where some things have really shifted me in, in, in for certain ways. And it, it's just this different place of relating to God. And it all goes back to He's your source, you know? It's only in the practice of truth that you can understand truth. It's only in the practice of truth that you can understand truth. So stay that course and don't ever back off. I always just kind of take inventory. My my pressing into this area, my pressing into that area. I remember a few, a few years ago, I was like, ah, oh, let's 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 go for this. And the Lord's like, Yeah, this is what we're gonna do. I said, Ooh, I didn't mean that like that. <laughs> no, 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 let's go. Here we go. And one of the things to guard against is allowing your natural unredeemed mind to over, or your intellect to overtake what you know what God has asked you to do. Now, the thing is, he, again, he will work with you where you're at. A lot of times I, I've seen where a lot of people get shipwrecked in walking by faith is that in a sense, they, they want to they, 
They want to build a strip mall and they haven't even built a one bedroom cabin. So like, oh, I'm going to go do this. I was like, I'm not saying you can't do that, but you might want to just kind of start here. Uh, Randy Clark once told me, he said, he's having this discussion with John Wimber and it's about like, you know, the church was growing and he, I think he was still working an outside job at the time and and he just said, hey, Randy, this thing never changes, just the numbers change. So he's trying to teach him, he's like, you got to work with where you're at, you know? I think, uh, I remember years ago just knowing I had this call to the nations, and I was thinking, man, how could I even go to two nations a year and do these things, and and then... He just started maybe one or two a year, and then it became sometimes, you know, three a year, four a year, and then sometimes it started going to three a month and stuff. And that is, that's expensive stuff to do. But you got I had to start where I was at and do what he asked me to do. And then your mind just begins to just roll along with that as you're obedient and trust him. And it's still always a walk of faith, but he's always your source. Now, What's important here is that you have to be constantly progressing in truth because here, here's what uh, I, Isaiah, um, let me read this here. Where did I want to, here we go. Isaiah 28.10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So it happens. He'll start you here, and you go, yes, and you're confessing it to be true, and then you're walking this out, and then he teaches you, oh, there's a little more part of this part here, and then here's a little more part of your assignment over here. So he begins to build this spiritual house, but it's always progressive. And what's very important is that you don't fall in love with one space or season that you're in, because if you... If you begin to just embrace that, and I'm not saying the assignment changes, but embrace an aspect of that assignment, if you begin to fall in love with a, a form or a manner, that is a, a place of danger where you can cease to not grow, and where you don't grow, you cease to be as relevant as God wants you to be and what the things he wants to teach you in that area. Yeah. There's a reason that 94, Toronto outpouring came, there's a reason that they're not singing the same songs in Toronto in 2021 as they were in 1994. We actually sang one that was very popular back in 94. Jesus, holy and anointed. doesn't mean you don't ever sing it again. doesn't mean it's not ever relevant again. It just means that's not the consistent theme that God is emphasizing. Why? There's a progression in what God is doing, and it's emphasizing something different. That's why often certain groups of people or denominations that God has built will always short circuit because they were built on one aspect of truth. Let's look at this and then we'll land the plane. I think we've looked at this concept one time before here, but let's look at it and then we'll land here. Everybody still with me? Look at uh, Mark, the second chapter, verse 18. 
disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting, and then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but you dis- your disciples do not fast? So a few questions here, or a good thing to just look at here in a moment. In this sequence, Jesus is not teaching against fasting. How many can agree fasting is a good thing? Because later he'll say, when you fast, fasting is a spiritual discipline that I encourage you to develop as part of your lifestyle. And they ask him this question. Two different groups of people ask him this question. John's disciples. That's really important right there because the reason that's important to pull out is these are not people who could not discern what God is doing. These are not people without discernment. These are people, we talked a little bit about last night, John the Baptist. These are people when they saw John, they're going, that's God. Not, most people did not embrace them. What, what were they? They were pioneers for their time. They embraced the move of God early on. So these are not people who could not discern. And then also the Pharisees. Pharisees uh, were basically means to be separate. They were, they were people of a system of, a, of religion. They're the most influential people among the Jewish people. They were known for their accurate and therefore authoritative interpretations of the law and their own traditions in the way of life. Essential to the training of a Pharisee was the belief that they that if they followed their interpretation of the law, they could hasten the coming of the promised Messiah. So the idea was this, and let me just throw this out there, a key point, I think, when you read Scripture. Jesus was not opposed to the law. If Jesus was opposed to the law, he would be opposed to God himself. What Jesus was opposed to, he actually says, I came to fulfill the law. What he was opposed to is what had been made of the law because particularly the Pharisees, they added all of these rules, hundreds. I forget how many it was, 144. All these different rules so people could fulfill the law. So he wasn't against the law. What he was, he was against the legalistic structure that had been created around the law. By the way, if you think, if you think the, uh, the law has been completely done away with, which one of the Ten Commandments can you still do? about that one so these are people who maybe in a sense even had right motive wrong thinking but they come to Jesus and go how come you guys are not fasting so they are doing a godly thing probably they they say probably most most Pharisees back then the law only required uh, one or two days we'll read here in a minute but um, the, the law required Fasting only one day of atonement, but many other fasts had been added. So here's what they did. There was only one required by the law, but most of them fasted as a regular part of life because they wanted to be holy. And they're fasting. So he's not against fasting. So it's, it's really interesting here. They are doing a good religious act, but it is incongruent with what God is doing in the earth at that time. So Jesus has this famous line to him. And Jesus said, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom, they cannot fast. He's basically telling them, You don't discern the season that you're living in. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. So, okay, there you go. They'll fast in those days. <laughs> no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else puts a new 
Peace pulls away from the old and the terror is made worse. No one puts new wine into an old wineskin or else the new wine bursts the wineskin, but the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wine skins. So he says, guys, this is not a season of mourning. And then he talks wedding feasts. I like this. Required seven days of festivity. So he's like, this is a time of celebration, guys. This is not a time to fast. No one was permitted to fast or engage in other acts of mourning or difficult labor during a wedding feast. So then he, and then he, then he uses this, of course, analogy. Skins of goats was often used to hold wine. Or if you evangelical grape juice. And the fresh... <laughs> Side note, I don't drink. But it's probably... Anyway. Different. The fresh skin stretched out as a grape juice or wine fermented. So after a while, the old skin could no longer be stretched, so the new wine would cause them to burst. So what he's saying is, so you don't put new wine into an old wine because you put it in there, that thing's going to tear because it's been stretched as much as it can be stretched in that moment. But notice there also, too, Jesus did not... He, let me read that line again. So. No one sews an unshrinked cloth on an old garment or else the new wine pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin or else the new wine bursts the wineskin and the wineskin is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. I want to suggest to you though as well, he, notice he does not say that the old wine is obsolete. So that which you built your foundation on no, is not obsolete, but you keep building on that truth that helps you discern. That's often the problem, is people try and frame their spiritual life through one lens of understanding and revelation. But also realize this as well. Without a progression of truth, we cease to be relevant. Because what happens here? Thankfully, there are some who understood them. They're like, oh, oh yeah, we missed a turn. Let's keep following this thing. But as a whole, Judaism today, Jesus was the promised Messiah for God's chosen people. He came as the light of the world. They were given the privilege of being the line. He still has covenant with his people. They were given the privilege of being the line. That's even why, even in modern day evangelicalism, there's been such fight to disjoin us from the original root, which is the Jewish people. But the Jewish people... The answer to, for the Jewish people was always to be Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Early apostles, every one of them, would have no idea of a lot of evangelical concepts. An early apostle would have no idea 
or Paul would probably never understand the idea of leading somebody to Jesus. He would not understand that. What he understood was this. His whole life, he was zealous for this. He was zealous for the promised Messiah of God's chosen people. That's what he was hungry for. There's a read, there, it's not an accident Paul, that, that God chose him because he had, it under, he had a fundamental understanding of worldview and that's why he writes two-thirds of the New Testament because God wanted it written through that worldview. So what Paul understood when he's on the road to Damascus and he, and he gets knocked off the horse because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. When he gets knocked off <laughs> and he's blinded, notice eyes, blind. What's he doing? He's shifting the way he sees reality. When he goes, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. In his zeal, that's how ugly a religious spirit is. In his zeal to fulfill, to bring in, to hasten in the Messiah, he is killing people. So God's going, man, son, your, your motivation, your, your actions are way off, but you got the right idea. Yeah, I want me to come. So he goes, he goes I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah who you're trying to persecute. So this is a revelation to Paul. His light goes on. He goes, whoa, Jesus has already come in, Jesus has already come as a promise to the kingdom because Paul had understood there's a promise for God's people that if this Messiah comes, there, he's going to inbreak the world to come into today and there's going to be a kingdom established on the earth here and now and tomorrow is going to break into today and it will be, it will come to the, that's why he came to the Jew first and then the Gentile. It would always be extended to other people but it was to begin with the Jew first and when it did, all people would be invited to bring today and tomorrow as a down payment of this glorious kingdom. That's why, that's why they cause all sorts of problems primitively. Here's why it caused problems. Because a large percentage of the, 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 the Jews, Pharisees and stuff, they had, they had um, basically had this uh, good understanding with the, with the Romans that they could practice their religion freely. Now they got a problem because most of the early believers are all Jews and they're all still practicing as Jews. It's funny. Interesting. So they're still practicing as Jews, but now they're talking about a Messiah and a kingdom. And here's another characteristic of it. They live pure sexual lives. It was a very immoral culture. Like, oh my gosh, they only have sex with their, their spouses. That's very unique. Really, that's one of the things that pointed them out. And they're nice to poor people. That's what pointed them out. And these small group of people are doing miracles and they're talking about a kingdom. So now the Jewish establishment is getting like, oh my gosh, they're talking about a kingdom and we're going to lose our place here because they're all doing the same thing we're doing and they've added Jesus to this thing. So now that's why the Jews are like, shut up, we're going to hurt you because this is going to hurt us politically. So that's the worldview that he came into. So, I, know, I wasn't planning on saying all that, but it's, it's the worldview that he had. Paul would not understand this leading somebody to Jesus. He would say, there's a kingdom that's come in the form of Jesus. And you have this privilege of being part of this invading break-in of heaven on earth now that you get to live here and now. It's totally different from the world that you're living in right now. 
you're living here on the earth and it affects the earth, but it's unique and it's a representation. But the point of me saying that as well is this. Obviously, the large majority of Jewish people said, he's not the Messiah. So the progression of truth was always to be Yeshua the Messiah. So there's no form of Judaism in the earth except Messianic Judaism that is in any way, there's no form of Judaism outside of Messianic Judaism that's in any way relevant right now. Every other form, orthodox, this, that, whatever you reform, whatever, crazy, Kabbalah, it's completely irrelevant, not even close to anything found even in the Old Testament. Why? Because truth was always to be progressive. Where it didn't end up at the right destination, now it's completely aberrant. And I believe that there's a great restoration. But that's the truth that needs to be known. And I encourage you, if you have a, a love, and we are supposed to love God's chosen people in the nation, make sure you are partnering with the right people who actually believe in opening people's eyes to Jesus, the Yeshua Messiah. Amen. It's not like you get a pass just because you were born a Jew anymore. He's the light of the world now. But we are indebted as most of us as Gentiles, to God's people. You think about this. I've talked about this to other people who don't necessarily agree, and that's fine. You don't have to agree with me on this one, but I'm right about the public school thing. No. <laughs> just, just messing. But I said, if you don't think there's something, Israel's about the size of the state of New Jersey. Why do you think people care about that land? It's not just another piece of land. And he's not coming to Washington, D.C. Jesus is going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. He's going to gather the nations there. It's kind of like, right, people trying to stop any information they don't like these days. Why would the Muslims set up that dome there. They didn't really believe something was about that place. Yeah, it was just a piece of land. You know, go set up your dome anywhere else. You know? But they want it there. Those are not. It just happen. The good news is this. Demons and devils can do whatever they want. They can't stop what God's going to do. Like, it's also good news about your life, you know. The enemy can try and destroy you, but if God's hands on your life. So without a progression of truth, and it's not a, you know, like a performance type of thing. It's just this holy fear of the Lord. What's the, you know, what's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is just simple. You take God seriously in everything you're doing. Amen. Take Him serious in talking to people. You take Him serious when you go to work. Everything you do, you, take, you, you realize that God's in there. And He's constantly trying to, because what happens is there's synchronization of trust and believing and, and as you're trusting, you're acting on what He says and then your mind just... Whoosh, 
it just kind of comes into alignment. And as it comes into alignment, he'll stretch you again because his whole idea is to really be able to relate to you in this place. Anything I tell you is possible. Anything I tell you is possible. Don't ever self-preservate because anything I tell you is possible. Did you receive this word tonight? Lord, we just, um, if you just receive this word, I just encourage you to just lift your hands up. Lord, we receive your word tonight gladly. Receive your word gladly. Lord, thank you that we delight in your word. Thank you that your word is good, loving, and kindness. We delight in you. And every, any place that we need to shift and to change, Lord, just show us right now any place that needs adjustment. Thank you, Lord, that we are progressing to think more and more like you. See, um, Jesus just, uh, um, just going around, just putting his fire right inside of people.